All right, so we got Dr. Poland here again today. This is Dr. Reed. Uh, Dr. Poland has been doing a great job of putting up some new content for you guys, and we were able to meet up today and get some more content up. Uh, the title of this episode is going to be You Are Not Your Diagnosis. So little disclaimer here is um, always get a good qualified professional to do a proper examination, uh, you know, rule out red flags or any other issues that could lead to a more serious condition. But that being said, we do know a lot of patients, a lot of people that, uh, you know, briefly or bluntly putting kind of use, use some diagnoses as crutches in a way, whether they're doing this intentionally or unintentionally. Um, and I know a lot of doctors, uh, even chiropractors, but mostly a lot of medical doctors that will discuss diagnoses with patients. Uh, and while diagnoses are important for, you know, knowing uh, exactly what's going on and for, you know, of course, reimbursement purposes, we have to have those in. Uh, there can kind of be a obstacle for the patient in their overall, you know, wellness and healing. Um, I know a lot of people that are told they have osteoarthritis. So osteoarthritis is a big one. Uh, I think we'll briefly discuss what that is. And we have touched on that a little bit. Uh, and then osteoarthritis is something that a lot of people have. Uh, some people's osteoarthritis is worse than others. But essentially, osteoarthritis is something that happens naturally, but can accelerate if there are fixations in your joints and spines or your spine is not moving the way that it should or moving optimally. Um, Dr. Brad Poland did a great job of discussing some of the important concepts about diaphragmatic breathing in his Rehab 101 episode, uh, core stability. Uh, and those are things that we will discuss a little bit today because it does apply to some of the diagnoses we're talking about. But Dr. Poland, you got anything to add about osteoarthritis in general? No, I mean, you pretty much hit it right where it needed to be. Like, it's just, it's a natural aging process. And from my experience, and you may have a different experience or maybe the same opinion, is that I've seen a lot of clinicians use that as a way to put fear into moving your body. Um, Sometimes that's unintentional, yeah, right? But yeah. uh, I do see a lot of patients that are then like, oh, I have, you know, severe osteo, or they so will say severe arthritis. Generally, that's going to be osteoarthritis. Uh, severe osteoarthritis, so like I, you know, I'm afraid to do this, or I'm afraid to go to the gym, stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. So uh, with arthritis, you know, a more serious form would be rheumatoid arthritis. So there's a little bit of a genetic uh, or familial component to rheumatoid arthritis, Rheumatoid arthritis is going to be something that we can test for through blood serum studies. Even on x-ray, we see some signs uh, that can show, you know, things that would lead us down the path of suspecting rheumatoid arthritis. But the issue with rheumatoid arthritis is sometimes there is some instability in your spine and some adjustments can be contraindicated. So for today's purposes, we'll, we'll discuss osteoarthritis. And like we said, something that is normal and natural, um, but... If we have hypermobility, I know Dr. Brad did mention that a little bit in the Rehab 101 podcast, but if certain parts of our spine are hypermobile uh, and we constantly are popping them ourselves, you know, or constantly getting them adjusted over and over again, uh, never really getting to the root cause or the root fixation, then we can accelerate some of that osteoarthritis, right? Mm -hmm. So with the adjustments that we've discussed in the past, a lot of chiropractors will tell people not to pot their own backs. Uh, there's some truth to that, and that's just because typically 
uh, whenever you your body is going to take the path of least resistance. So if your neck is popping and you're using a little bit of overpressure or forcing it is what we would tell patients, then the, the segments that are already mobile are, are probably going to cavitate or pop. But it's really hard to get to the root issue. So the one that's really stuck or the primary subluxation, as some chiropractors would call it. But um, for us as chiropractors, we want to go through your spine and see how each segment's moving. It's a lot easier for us to get to that root fixation, that root issue, uh, so that we get your spine moving uniformly and that we're not increasing the hypermobility or increasing the wear and tear on joints uh, or parts of your spine that already move pretty well. Um, so osteoarthritis is a big one. Anything else you wanted to add about that? Mm -hmm. I know we did talk a little bit in our past podcast about, you know, the analogy of like a rusty door hinge. And that is kind of something we're going to segue a bit off of today because what do we want to do? We encourage you guys last time we met up to talk to stay active, right, to move. So a lot of people that have osteoarthritis uh, won't want to exercise or do things because they're afraid it's going to make their condition worse. So usually that's not going to be the case, right? We're going to encourage movement. The rusty door hinge that that is is uh, sedentary or the door that never moves or the car that's never driven is going to rust a lot faster. So motion is lotion, just like Dr. Poland said last time we met, and movement is important. So another uh, really important concept here, though, and a little bit of a disclaimer I wanted to get into is that we have the pain scale, VAS pain scale, which is subjective pain rating. But uh, I like to use that as a indicator or a marker to tell you if what you're doing is beneficial or not uh, with your activity and with the gym. And typically, say someone has low back pain that's at a five. Uh, and even though maybe it stays painful when they're doing certain motions or exercises, my question to them is, does that pain increase to a seven or an eight uh, an hour later or later in the day or is it stay at a five or ideally uh, and in a lot of the situations it will decrease the pain over time so my point there is just because something might be a little painful when you do it or an exercise might be a little uncomfortable uh, we're not doing any additional harm to your body uh, and then as long as those pain levels aren't up super high afterwards then keep doing that that's a good thing so another thing we wanted to get into today, we talked a little bit about osteoarthritis, but we do want to bring a little bit of research slowly into this podcast here. Uh, and one of those concepts is something called central sensitization. So while we're talking about pain here, chronic pain, which is typically going to be pain that has been going on for a long time, right? There's not always going to be tissue insult or tissue damage, even though your body is still experiencing pain. So your brain, I tell patients, your brain can kind of be a bit of a, a bit of an asshole, right? So the brain is a very powerful thing. And if your spine, your nervous system has become fearful of certain motions and movements, even after the tissue is healed, your body can still feel a little bit of pain. Your pain pathway from your nervous system, your spinal cord to your brain has become sensitized. Uh, there is a little bit of research here that discusses central sensitization. Uh, and that is, you know, one of the biggest things why, biggest reasons why people have chronic pain is their nervous system has become sensitized. Uh, one of the best things you can do in situations like that is exactly what we just discussed. And that is to stay active, stay moving as long as we're not increasing your pain levels because it's very unlikely that we're actually doing any tissue damage or, or further harm 
um, in those situations. So there is a little bit of research here from 2016 uh, from the Journal of Back and Musculoskeletal Rehabilitation uh, that discusses central sensitization. I'm going to pull it up a little bit here. Uh, and then their takeaways here uh, is that, just like we said, uh, we want to keep you active, keep you moving, desensitize your brain and nervous system to those pain pathways. Anything to add there, Dr. Brad, why I look at this research a little bit? Yeah, sure. So with, with central sensitization, what it is is basically saying that your brain is firing pain signals when really there's no injury to insult, like you've already mentioned. And so there are a couple ways that clinicians that we can kind of tackle this without using any sort of pharmacological instance. And one of the things I usually try to tell people is to exercise. Again, motion is lotion. So whenever you're exercising, what happens is that it's actually activating certain uh, cells within your nervous system. And those cells actually travel faster to your brain and kind of tell that brain to stop sending pain signal because there's nothing going on here. And one of the reasons why some people think sensual sensation has occurred is more of like a psychological defense mechanism, if you will. So one good example is like, let's say I was deadlifting and I hurt my back deadlifting. And then after I go through rehab and everything like that, I go back to try to deadlift and then my back pain starts to just flare back up again after just looking at the barbell. It's just a defense mechanism as I'm saying, my body has been injured doing this activity and it's already preparing me that I'm gonna potentially get injured and maybe if we can avoid the injury by setting the pain signal down first, we can just avoid that altogether. I experienced that firsthand uh, a few years ago. I had been studying, uh, playing video games, and sitting in just bad postures all day. And then even though I know better, I went to the gym and was working up to a heavy single on deadlifts. Uh, didn't warm up properly, probably made too big of jumps with my weights, and I injured my low back in a deadlift. Um, and even still today, uh, even though it's completely healed and I'm still deadlifting and doing everything I need to, I did do a, uh, you know, treatment plan with chiropractic and some rehab to, to help that healing. But even today, when I go to flex my lumbar spine, which means kind of round your lower back or you know, like the, you'd see in bad posture or a bad deadlift is some people would say a bad deadlift. Uh, but my, my spine is still scared. My brain is still scared of that lumbar and lower back flexion, even though it's healed. So when I go and stand and do anterior forward pelvic tilt, posterior backward pelvic tilt into that flex position, uh, it's real shaky. My brain's, my body's kind of like, whoa, wait a minute. This is where you, we got hurt a couple of years ago. So what I've done for that is I've really practiced that motion and I've tried to retrain my brain to understand that, okay, this, this motion is okay. Uh, my, my spine, my body can do this without causing tissue damage. Uh, and over time, I've learned to control that motion better, and things things are moving much better. My weights are going up in the gym. I don't have any low back pain. So, yeah, that's something that I, I experienced firsthand. Um, another thing that we kind of wanted to get into a bit today, uh, and again, this is some some heavy stuff. We do have some references and research, but for now, we're not going to go into it too much, maybe in future episodes, but we want to keep this digestible and something that everyone can understand. Um, but another big one is lumbar or lower back disc bulges. So a lot of different terminology there. We have disc bulge, disc protrusion, 
uh, which is where the disc is the, the nucleus of the disc is actually pushing into the annular fibers on the disc. And then we have an extrusion, which is essentially where it's burst through, right? An annular fissure. So we won't get into the anatomy of a disc uh, too much, but in each of your discs in your spine, those are your kind of cushions and shock absorbers. You have a nucleus and uh, an annulus. And the annulus is circular fibers that compose the integrity of the disc. And then the nucleus is gelatinous and in the center. Uh, and typically, if you have aberrant or abnormal motions, that disc can potentially move around a little bit and cause some pain. Uh, but what we have here is an, a research article from 1994. It's a little bit older, uh, but there's been a lot, uh, bunch of other things that have come out talking about MRIs uh, or you know imaging of people with back pain uh, and then people without back pain. So uh, if anybody's interested, this is Magnetic Residence Imaging of the Lumbar Spine in People Without Back Pain by Jensen et al. Uh, and this is from the New England Journal of Medicine. But basically, they did MRIs on 98 asymptomatic people, and 36% uh, of the 98 asymptomatic subjects had normal discs. Uh, and then 52% of those subjects had disc bulges at at least one level, 27% had protrusions, and one person actually even had an extrusion. Now, remember, none of these people were symptomatic. None of these people had pain. May they have experienced pain later down the road? Possibly, right? But at this point, none of these people had pain. Uh, so just kind of the conclusion or takeaway on this uh, from the study is on MRI examination of the lumbar spine, many people without back pain have disc bulges or protrusions. Uh, typically, we're not going to see a lot of extrusions, even though we did see one in this case. Uh, given the high prevalence of these findings and of back pain, the discovery of MRI by MRI of disc bulges or protrusions in people with low back pain may frequently be coincidental. So my point here is that just because you have disc bulges and even most of the time people that know they have disc bulges, it's because they have pain. But that doesn't mean you should be sedentary, just like with the osteoarthritis. One of the worst things you can do for pain is do nothing and be sedentary, right? So again, though, this is where the disclaimer comes into place. Go see a qualified professional, whether that's a physical therapist, chiropractor, uh, someone who can do a proper examination on you here to make sure that you are moving uh, and doing the right strategies for your body because not everybody's rehab is identical. Not everybody looks the same with what they should be doing and how they should be moving. So um, Dr. Brad did talk about how we, in the Rehab 101 podcast, we have some proximal stability, some stability and stabilization strategies for the trunk uh, and the stuff that is the most central, most proximal. Before our shoulders and arms and legs can move well, if we have instability proximally or in the center, like your core, uh, then those those motions uh, are not going to be as strong, not going to be as beneficial to your body. So without that stability in the trunk first. Um, anything to add about all that, Brad? Yeah. So so do you prefer, I'm sorry, do you prefer Dr. Poland or Dr. Brad? Dr. Poland. Dr. Poland it is from now on. I know him as Dr. Brad, but it's going to be Dr. Poland. It's all right. No worries. <laughs> um, but kind of tying back to that research that you were just mentioning from Jensen and all, I think what is kind of important regarding referencing back to this, the 90, 1994, is that this was actually the first study that came out that actually suggested that if you get an MRI of your back and you see disc bulges, that isn't going to be the exact pain generator for your back pain. You know, and a lot of pain science and research has been coming out saying that like that, you know, pain is very, very complex. It's very, 
difficult to necessarily say like there's one particular cause. So, and this has really been sparking a lot of research coming out lately. Uh, I know within the past five years, a lot of research coming out just saying like, you know, is it, is imaging actually a good identifier of pathology? Um, so kind of tying all of this back in together, how the, like essentially saying that just because you have a disc ball doesn't mean that that's the reason why you have pain, right? Because fit more than half of us are walking around right now with the disc bulge, but not everyone is walking around with pain. So I think that should be really hit heavy on that. And then like what you were mentioned with rehab is going to be different with everyone based on what they have. And we've already touched on the idea of like proximal stabilization, but we shouldn't also just discriminate distal stabilization too, because sometimes some issues can happen in the feet that could be causing pain elsewhere in the body as well and stuff like that. So, and I know we haven't touched on it yet, but we're, we're slowly segueing our way into it in future episodes. So, yeah. And then, um, <clears throat> Dr. Brad mentioned in the past the importance of a functional movement examination, right? Mm -hmm. So say you have a disc bulge and you have pain, um, but because of the way the bulging disc is affecting the mechanics of your spine, maybe you have flexion intolerance, bending forward, or extension restriction, uh, or pain when you rotate side to side. So my point there is that that is a huge thing for patients to get a functional assessment because not every disc bulge should be treated the same, right? So say your spine moves a certain way uh, and because of the disc bulge, it's changing the way it moves. We want to look at what movements and what motions are restricted, what movements and what motions cause pain. And I think the most important one is what movements reduce your pain, right? Mm -hmm. So that's what you need to do. And that's going to be kind of my takeaway here is if you're in pain, find something that reduces your pain and do it. <laughs> right. Yeah. So sometimes it's pretty simple. Uh, if you're doing an exercise that makes your low back pain or even, you know, neck pain or any other joint, like we've discussed, uh, if you're doing something that makes it feel better, then that's a good thing. Right. So pain, uh, changes the way you move, uh, and can cause a cascade of other mechanical dysfunctions that can possibly lead to some pain down the road. So we just need to find some motions for you that make your pain levels go down uh, and then do more of those. Uh, and then if we pair that with what we think your spine needs functionally, uh, and then those two things coincide where it makes you feel better and it's the motion your spine needs, then we're really getting some progress and making some, uh, some healing occur and making your spine and patient as a whole feel better. Mm -hmm. So I do say as a whole, I think the last kind of point that I'd like to bring up today is that we talked a bit about this, somewhat complicated concept of central sensitization. But I think if you're just a normal person sitting on the couch that doesn't know much about medicine or strength conditioning or anatomy, your takeaway should be that the brain is a powerful thing, right? So Dr. Brad mentioned how all different kind of things can contribute to your pain. Some of those things are even beliefs, you know, like he said, fears, uh, stress. So there doesn't always have to be a mechanical reason for your pain. If you are depressed or, you know, you've been in a bad mood or you had a rough week and nothing has changed to your anatomy, you might experience more pain simply because of that. So the takeaway there is that the brain is a powerful thing. And uh, I know sometimes this is easier said than done, but one of the, the worst things you can do when you have pain, even chronic pain is be sedentary, be upset about it, let it affect your mental state. And one of the best things you can do is to try to remain positive, to know, 
you know, if you've worked with a good clinician, know that you have strategies you can use to make your pain levels decrease, to help your body feel better and to get well, you know, and fix these issues. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I, 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 for me on Instagram, I follow a lot of rehab chiros and physical therapists and everything like that. And I saw one really good meme that one posted and it was kind of like, well, like, duh, like how come I've never thought of this and maybe you have Dr. Reed, but it was more of the idea of like, okay, like we want patients, we want patients to exercise, right? And want to make like, we want to limit their barriers as much as they can. So they had like a, a little yes and no ideas, like patient exercising, no, get them to exercise, find exercise. Okay. Found an exercise. Is it too easy for them? Okay. Increase load intensity, whatever. Is it too hard? Okay. Decrease load intensity at the end of the day, good exercise. So like by going back with sensual sensitization, anything is going to be better than nothing. And that's what we were trying to hit home with this. I would say is that we just want you to get off the couch you do something, go on a walk, go swimming, go lift some weights, go do whatever you wish to do. And that's also going to help carry not just with your sensual sensitization, but it also help with your low back pain and your first phases of your rehab program. So all of those really kind of coincide with one another. Yeah, and like I said earlier, and hopefully you guys have have listened to Dr. Poland's episodes on Rehab 101 and how to integrate your rehab protocols into strength training afterwards, uh, he brought up a really good point just now that does relate to that, and that's that load matters, the amount matters. So uh, if you have low back pain, I'm not telling you to go walk five miles, right? So uh, And this is where coaching, good personal trainers, good strength conditioning coaches, and good therapists and clinicians can go hand in hand because the amount that you do matters. They said uh, in a lot of other contexts, the the poison is in the dose, right? So uh, like vaccines, <laughs> right? I know that's a hot topic right now. Yeah. We won't get into that. But if you you know have a small amount that your body can adapt to and respond to, then that's an appropriate stimulus to create change. If it's too much, whether it's strength conditioning or anything else, stress, if it's too much, uh, stress on your body, then we might make the injury worse or even get injured. So meet with someone, get properly assessed with a functional movement screen and exam if you have pain. Uh, and then also make sure that whoever you meet with is giving you strategies to manage it on your own and is giving you a progressive program. So that's a, a strength conditioning concept called you know progressive overload. Uh, it doesn't just have to be with weight training. It can be with cardio. It can be with walking. It can be with doing anything off the couch, but we uh, we don't always want to do necessarily the couch to 5K type mentality, right? Yeah. Yeah. We uh, we want how about couch to 1K, <laughs> right? Well, um, sure, yeah. But have a qualified professional monitor your stress, the amount of stress that you're putting on your body, uh, and see how you adapt. So and I think that's pretty much sums it up. Uh, don't be afraid to move. Don't be afraid to exercise. Have a program and a progression in mind. I know with personal training, I always say that is the difference between training and exercising is that training has a planned progression. Training can adapt to how you're responding to the stimulus that you're putting on your body. Uh, exercise is no plan, just kind of going in there and feeling sweaty. Um, but we want you to take your rehab uh, and things you can do for your pain the same way. Um, and even with chiropractic, uh, sometimes you can do too much with that too. So we got to look at how your body responds. We have to have a plan progression in mind, but when all those bases are met, not exercising or not doing something because you're fearful of your disc bulge or, or your disc protrusion, um, 
is not necessarily the way to go. So meet with someone, let them help you out. These are things that have a lot of research and a lot of experts in the field that can help you learn how to move your body uh, and get rid of your pain. So get some more content up here shortly. Uh, we were, it's awesome. We were both able to meet up today. Um, in the future, we'll probably bring in some other speakers as well. Uh, if anybody has any questions too, they can message us and we can discuss that in future episodes. Um, we're trying to keep these kind of short and sweet for you guys. So that'll be it for today. Uh, we appreciate you guys for listening. Say bye, Dr. Plan. See y'all. All right, guys. Thanks.